Psalm 22, uh, David actually wrote this psalm and David wrote this psalm a thousand years before Christ Jesus walked the earth. And here's where it starts in verse one. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, if you've read much of the New Testament, that's gonna jog something in your memory. And Mark 15, 34 literally says, it's Jesus as he's on the cross and he literally says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So it's, it's fascinating to me because if you look at the Hebrew here in, in Psalm 22 and then Jesus actually says it in Hebrew, it's Eloi, Eloi, Lema, Sabachthani. And it literally means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So the question immediately for us this morning becomes, how is uh, Jesus saying the very same thing that David wrote a thousand years prior? And, and is therefore Jesus just quoting King David? Because that's what some people would have thought. But let me give you some, a couple thoughts on that. John 1, 1 through 5, you can make a note. I'm not gonna read it or turn there, but it literally says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. So the word is literally the person of Jesus. And the person of Jesus would have inspired, would have overshadowed, would have hovered over King David and would have inspired him. And so when King David penned these words a thousand years before Christ, Christ literally existed outside of time. He existed at the beginning of time, the middle of time, the end of time. And the words that King David would have penned that day are literally the words of Christ. So what's amazing about this psalm is this psalm is an exact representation of what happens at the cross of Calvary. It is an exact representation. The details are absolutely stunning. In fact, if you read this and you can look at the date of when it was written and then a thousand years later, Christ walks the earth, I think that any thinking, intelligent human would look at it and go, how can you doubt the existence of a holy God? How can you doubt the existence of an Easter story of a king who came to earth and walked and lived and went to a cross and died and then was resurrected. So immediately David jumps in, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So my first point this morning is that Jesus was forsaken so that you don't have to be. Jesus was forsaken so that I don't have to be. Because you see, the God of the Old Testament extinguished all of his anger, and a biblical word for that would be his wrath, but he extinguished all of his anger on Jesus at the cross. And so all of it was put on Christ Jesus. So if you pause there a minute and you actually think back um, to the beginning, and if, you, if you've never read Genesis 1, 2, and 3, you may want to. But think back with me to the beginning. And literally in the beginning, sin enters the world. And Adam and Eve are suddenly aware of their sinfulness. They're suddenly aware of their shame. And God comes and he walks in the garden with them in the cool of the day. And he actually has to kill an animal and shed blood and make clothing for them to cover their sin. So from the very beginning of the book, literally from Genesis on, to cover sin requires the shedding of blood. And then we have this sort of love story that unfolds, and I, I would have loved, I mean, I, I would be amazed if I could have sat and listened to the discourse between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit when they planned sort of this rescue um, of the human race from sin. 
I can't imagine the dialogue and the conversation, but from the beginning, Jesus knew that he would go to earth as a babe and he would grow up and he would ultimately go to a cross and he would die and then he would raise from the dead. He knew. So when he inspired David to pen this psalm, there was no misunderstanding. Jesus knew, he, he already knew what was coming. And so David literally is writing this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the, the overshadowing, if you will, of Christ Jesus. Another thing I think you need to make note of here is 1 Peter 1, 10 through 12. You can make a note if you wanna look it up. But it literally said, God revealed to the prophets beforehand the sufferings and glory of Jesus the Messiah. God revealed to the prophets beforehand. So how did David know and, and how do we have such an exact representation as we read through this of what happened at, Cal at the cross of Calvary? We know because the Holy Spirit literally inspired it in them, told them beforehand, and they penned it. So when you look at Psalm 22, Jesus on the cross is not quoting an ancient text. He is not saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because David wrote it. No, no, these are his original words that, that King David captured. He is revealing sort of the grand plan to save humanity from sin and, and from death. He knew at the beginning. The last thing that I think is imperative to note here is uh, that statement is found in both Matthew and Mark. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it is clear in both of these passages that once Jesus has fulfilled drinking the cup of God's wrath, on himself, bearing the awful consequences of the sin. He restores humanity to the beginning and, and it is done. His mission is then complete. So I think what is also interesting is you have Christ Jesus, and we'll talk about this again in a few minutes, but crucifixion was designed by the Romans to last three, four, five, sometimes more days. It's a horrible process. And yet Jesus only hung on that cross six hours. See, Jesus was in control of his death. Nobody took it. They planned this from the beginning of time. This was the great rescue. This was the great plan that God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit orchestrated. And he came then to deliver us. Jesus' cry here, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, echoes and shows full harmony with his prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. The Gospel of Mark in particular underlines the enormous cost to Jesus to obey the will of the Father. We talked about some of that last week. But literally on the cross, he is drinking the cup, the symbol in the Old Testament of God's wrath. He is drinking the cup of his wrath to the dregs and he is bearing upon himself the consequences of the sin of all humanity. Humanity who was, humanity who is, and humanity who would come. But you see, the most important thing on this Easter is that you understand that because Jesus was forsaken, because he was forsaken, because God put his anger on him, you and I never have to be forsaken by this loving father. We have a father that knows us, that loves us. It literally says he, our names are engraved or tattooed on the palms of his hand. A father who wants to wear a little necklace when, when our kids make it. That's, that, that's a father that loves his kids. So this story of Christ Jesus is not just a gruesome death. It is about the love of a God for his people. 
So I wanna actually now look at the, the, the passage in Psalm 22, because it's an amazing passage. I'm just gonna pull a few little verses. But you get into the second verse, oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night I find no rest. Literally talking about his time in the Garden of Gethsemane. You are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. And then, literally, Jesus is almost saying here in verse two, three, four, and five, he's literally saying, Lord, you rescued uh, those in the Old Testament. You rescued the Israelites from Egypt, and yet you're abandoning me, yet you're not rescuing me, yet you're not saving me. Then look at verse six. This is so fascinating to me. Jesus literally says, but I am a worm and not a man. I have wrestled with that. I am a worm and not a man. What does that even mean? And you get this I am statement. And in the Gospel of John, there's seven I am statements. And it's fascinating also that when God introduces himself to Moses in the Old Testament in Exodus 3, he introduces himself as the great I am. And so here we have David penning, you know, inspired by Jesus, I am a worm and not a man. I began to go, Lord, why is that even in there? So I look it up, and in the Old Testament, there's a different word that is usually used for worm. And this word is actually a little worm, a little, uh, worm called a cocus illicus. Cocus illicus. And this little worm um, would actually, when it died, would produce a crimson or a red color. Now go with me here. This is fascinating. It would die and produce this crimson color, and people would go and they would uh, scrape it off of a tree trunk, put it in a pot, and they would boil it, and that is how they made crimson or red scarlet dye. So literally what Jesus is saying here is he is uh, foretelling uh, the, the, his blood. I, I am a worm. I am about to shed my blood. So this little worm would actually shed its blood and its, its young, would, um, it would nourish its young and give them life. Literally what Jesus is saying here is, by my death, I am going to give you life. By my death, by my blood, you will live. We'll celebrate communion at the end of our time together. And that is literally what he is saying here. Then we go on down, look at verse seven and eight. All who see me mock me. They make they make mouths at me, they wag their heads. They say he trusts in the Lord, let him deliver himself, let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Now look, this is an exact representation. If you wanna read the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, of Jesus on the cross, that verse seven and eight is an exact representation of what the people said, making fun of Jesus when he was on the cross, literally foretelling what would happen. And then I wanna flip over in my Bible to the next page, but in your Bible, it's gonna be verse 14 through 18. And I think this is worth um, parking on for just a minute because what you have now is literally a, um, a, a literal picture of what it means to die a death of crucifixion. So it literally says in verse 14, I am poured out like water. Now when you're hung on a cross in the Middle Eastern sun, your body is literally poured out like water. And then it says, all my bones are out of joint. Literally, as Jesus would have hung on that cross, his shoulders would have fallen out of joint. And then it says, my heart melts like wax. It is melted within my breast. Literally, the human flesh on a cross over the course of two, three, four days would literally melt. You would melt, and as you melted, you would fall. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. 
It's interesting to me because the origin of the English word excruciating actually comes from a Latin word, which means cruciare or to crucify. So literally our word excruciating comes from Latin to crucify. That's where excruciating came from. That is the, it's unbearable pain. And so the Romans came up with this, this way of killing someone that would be unbearable pain. And that was how Jesus came to set us free. And then at the end of that, it says, verse 18, they divided my garments among them and for my clothing, they cast lots. Literally, they gambled over Jesus's clothing. It's just brilliant to me that this is all written a thousand years before it happened. Rome did not kill Jesus. Pilate did not kill Jesus. The guards that day, the centurions did not kill Jesus. He laid his life down. See, he was forsaken so that you and I never have to be forsaken. And when it was finished, the greatest love story on earth came to a climax. He died. And this leads into my second point. I've only got two points today. But the second point is it was finished and it is finished and it will be finished. Now, there's a transition that happens between verse 21 and verse 22, and it's a fascinating transition. The, the, the verses before, uh, from verse one to verse 21, literally are a person who is a, a hopeless, their heart is rent, they're, um, they're almost giving up. And yet when you get into verse 22, all of a sudden, um, it's like hope is renewed, hope dawns. And that's actually what I called my message this morning is hope dawns. And as I began to study um, the gospels, I saw something that I'd never seen before, but it was dark on the face of the earth um, from, from uh, 12 noon um, to 3 p.m., and at 3 p.m., it dawned. The dawn came again. And, and literally what the gospels tell us is before Jesus died, before he said it was finished and gave up his soul, the light dawned. And I think what happened in this moment is that hope dawned and Jesus paid the price for our sin by being separated from God for six hours. And at the end of that time, it was done. And you see God come back into full unity and fellowship with King Jesus. And you see Jesus, even though he's hanging there, even though he's in all that pain, even though he's in all that agony, literally he is now one again with his father and hope dawns, hope rises. And so the verses that you get from 22 all the way to 31 are full of hope. They are full of life. They are full of light and they are proclaiming good things to come. Now what's fascinating to me and probably my absolute favorite part of this psalm is that the very last verse, verse 31, says, they shall come and proclaim his righteousness to people yet unborn. That's you and me. And then it goes on and it says that he has done it. Now go with me here just a second. If you look at the Hebrew, if he has done it, what you get is an exact translation of it is finished. It is complete. So this psalm literally begins with, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then it ends with, it is finished. It is complete. 
And I think what's amazing here is that literally King David uh, is writing it in Hebrew and Jesus almost assuredly would have been speaking in Aramaic and the apostle John who wrote, it, who wrote down the words, it is finished, recorded it in Greek. That's John 19 verse 30 if you wanna look it up. But what's crazy to me or, or brilliant is that the apostle John, when he wrote it, literally used a Greek accounting term. So it's one word. And he used this one word to explain what Jesus said that day. And that the, the best English representation of it is almost like this um, present active participle. I'm not a grammar person, but it, it, it refers to an ongoing action. So what Jesus was literally saying that day is, it was finished, it is finished, and it will be finished. It is the finished work of the cross of Christ Jesus. And that accounting term uh, literally looks at um, a, a, almost like a bill. So we, we were just in the hospital with our youngest and when we got out, they sent us a bill and we paid the bill. And once we paid the bill, they sent me a little email and said, paid in full. That's what this term means. It is finished means paid in full. It changed everything. You know, if I could encourage you to do anything today, it would actually be to get. And I think one of the most powerful statements in all of the Bible is it is finished. You'll hear me say the finished work of the cross of Christ Jesus. I'm gonna write on my hand, it is finished. I-I-F. The entire Old Testament is fulfilled. It is finished. The entire Mosaic law is fulfilled. It is finished. Jesus has become the lamb in your place and in my place. It is finished. When the enemy reminds you or when you think back to your failures and your foibles and the foolish and stupid things you've done, you can go, it is finished. You might be stuck at home right now and in an argument or a fight or a disagreement with your spouse. You might be stuck at home right this minute struggling with old addictions. Alcohol is Way up. Pornography right now, way up. I mean, it, it is what is happening across our nation. You can, if you struggle with those things, begin to appropriate literally the life and death and resurrection of Christ Jesus on this Easter because it is finished. This is the Easter message. It is finished. Jesus was forsaken so that you don't have to be. Jesus tasted death so we don't have to taste it. Jesus took the penalty. You may be out there today and you might even be going, Michael, I don't like what's happening between me and my kids in this quarantine. Or I don't like it because I'm single and I'm all by myself and I don't like what I'm thinking about and I don't like what I'm doing. And I would encourage you to get under the finished work of the cross of Christ Jesus. He didn't just die that day, he rose. See, he rose again, it is finished. And when you actually appropriate the life and the death and the resurrection of Christ Jesus, you can apply that to every situation in your life. It is finished. So what we have here is literally the most tragic week in human history. Christ dies. But it's also the most triumphant week in human history because Christ raises from the dead. He lives. He has paid it. It is finished. The question today that many people are asking across this country is, 
my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And I would actually say that is the wrong question to be asking. I think the right question to be asking is not God, have you forsaken me? It's God, have I forsaken you? See, the question is, have you forsaken him? Because he forsook his own son once and for all. He paid it so that you never have to be out of the connection and presence with your father, with your God, with your Lord. The question for America as we face this coronavirus is not, God, have you forsaken America? The question is, America, have we forsaken God?